Hey Dennis, how are hey. you? Good. How are you? Good. Welcome. Can you hear? Can you hear me? The Open Studio Podcast. Oh yeah! Thanks. Thanks so much <laughs> for having me. Sorry, it took a little bit. I had to. Um, just been kind of like busy with work and stuff, so I apologize. Yeah, no problem. Um, you could hear me okay though. Yeah, um, I can yeah. hear you fine. Uh, cool. And when I had the idea to start this project. I was going through the list of names and I was like, oh, I have to get Dennis on <laughs> um, just because, uh, first of all, your involvement with just like art on the internet as it already is, is mm-hmm. like you're so tuned into this world of like talking to people and meeting them where they are and sort of like uh, whether it's on Instagram or your own podcast with Mila, like reaching out and like being a very interesting but also accessible personality in painting mm-hmm. and so I was really glad you were willing to hop on I know oh, of course but it, it worked out and I'm glad you're here yeah um, yeah I um I'm just I just feel honored like that anyone wants to speak to me in the first place <laughs> you know it's kind of um you know it's just uh it's just nice I just like I'm very grateful for uh, you having me on. Yeah. Um, well, I started this because I was thinking about our education and uh, being at PAFA when we went online, the classes were still the classes. And this awesome thing has happened with Zoom classes now, not so much with sculpture, but with painting and drawing, where mm-hmm. you can, for a fraction of what it used to cost, take a class with so many different people, including you, um, a little plug for your pushing colored dirt class (laughs) going on right now. Uh, If you guys don't know what that is, you should Google it or Instagram search it or something and sign up because uh, I'm sure that there's some gems that are gonna come out right now. But what I realized we didn't have is we didn't have this like community of like walking into somebody's studio and just sitting down with them and going, oh, this is what I'm working on. And you meant to be there for like 30 minutes after class. And then all of a sudden it's two in the morning and you're still there just talking about, oh, this is what I've been thinking about. This is what I'm working through. And so I guess in that spirit, I'm going to start with a pretty uh, simple question, but I see a bunch of paintings going on behind you. What's going on in the studio now? What are you working on and getting excited about? Oh, dang that! Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, damn, I haven't been asked that question in a while due to the pandemic and stuff. So it's kind of a uh, yeah. So like right now, I'm in this um, semi-transitional phase. I think with my work, um, I think like it's it's at a I dare I say experimental phase um, because like I'm really starting to get interested in, in um, awareness and narrative and how we piece kind of things together. I think I'm heading into a bit more abstraction within my own work, which is also something I like, you know, I'm very reluctant to be like, yeah, I'm balancing realism and abstraction, you know, those kind of like um, mm-hmm. those terms, but I definitely am, am heading into that. So like right now I'm, I'm trying to, mess with this um uh kind of interplay between almost like puzzles like i i I just see them like as these these puzzles of of um 
you know, abstraction, like iconographic imagery, you know, sometimes anchor points, I call them, which is like, you know, levels of realism that kind of guide viewers into the, the picture. So right now I'm in this like transitional phase of um, like the work behind me kind of was the Kickstarter to it. These, these, um, I don't know, uh, semi surreal um, iconographic images. Now I just want to kind of continue that thread, but push it into a more uh, kind of Diebenkorn, Dickinson-esque um, way of working. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've known each other for two years now. Sounds crazy, but... Yeah, going on three. Completely collapsed my idea of time. It seems like yeah. just a summer ago that I was visiting your studio when you were still an MFA student at the New York Academy, but you've been out of school for a little and I haven't been to New York in forever. Uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But uh, one of the things we bonded on when we first met was that love of Dickinson. I remember yeah. very clearly uh, at the time I was completely obsessed and <laughs> you were kind of someone who you understood it and you really sort of got those pictures. But the thing I've always admired about or one of the things I've always admired was like, you were able to pull the Dickinson influence, but then you were able to sort of sync it up with um, all of these different um, ideas, visual narratives that weren't even necessarily painting narratives, but you were looking at a lot of like illustration and comic books and even like film and advertising and like pulling all that out there. And I'm wondering if that's still going on and how you're sort of combining those. Um, yeah, so wholeheartedly still looking at that stuff. Like film is kind of the thing I, I look at a lot. I mean, I watch a lot of film. I study a lot of film going back to the prior um, kind of shadow of my courses and my courses. Like right now I'm teaching a composition course and I'm heavily in um, telling my students to pay attention to film and, and the way they use composition and, and things like that. Who are like your that. favorite directors that oh, you look at? Um, well, my two, well, I have, I have quite a few, but my, my top two is like Tarkovsky and Kurosawa. Okay. Uh, those, those two are my, my favorite. And then the list kind of folds into like Jim Jarmusch, um, uh, Gaspar Noe, like, you know, kind of like a lot of these semi-indie ones, you know, mm -hmm. under, under wraps. And then like, I, I do admire like, I mean, I love Kubrick. I love Spielberg. Like there's, there's all these kind of like charming qualities in each director's work that I, I, I it just, it's like a continual path for me of, of uh, painting, drawing and all that as looking at these directors. But yeah, I, I also have to say like, I'm a big book nerd too, like a big bookworm. So a lot of my favorite writers, like everything is just like this big kind of, um, thread of inspiration and how do I how do I pull from all these these mm -hmm. areas so I, I I think advertisement illustration like constantly looking outside of my little vacuum of what painting is is it kind of introduces me to different ways of perceiving things and building compositions and images but it also really um makes me I think not fall victim to just being a painter's painter mm -hmm. or something like that like oh this is this is why I love like I just want to make images like this like I think it allows me to go outside of that box a bit it also for me at least has been a lot harder 
um, like I'm thinking in the studio right now how to integrate someone like Hemingway into my yeah. practice. And yeah. you can't just put up a bunch of Hemingway and copy it the way I could a Mirandi or a Dickinson or something. It's right. like, what the hell does that even mean to paint like Hemingway writes? And yeah, that's... Or like Nas raps or anything like that. And I think um, you have to end up with like a more holistic view of working if you have a more holistic set of influences. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it just, it just adds a different, um, like for example, use the Hemingway thing. And I just actually printed out, it's funny because yesterday I printed out um, uh, the hills shaped like white elephants. Mm-hmm. You know, I just put that up on the studio wall over there just because like I've been like kind of going in and pulling all these different things from the ether and stuff. And, and going back to like what you said is like, how do I take the language of words and distill them through my kind of like ears into a visual dialogue with it Mm -hmm. and you're right like how do how do you how do you paint like Hemingway writes like for me I'm a big uh well I mean I like right now I'm back into my like Hunter S. Thompson uh realm I'm reading a lot of his like sport articles and just things how he writes and like one thing that like Hunter does is he's always about weather like his descriptiveness of weather and picking up on on his like use of language and stuff as uh, and how he kind of like pieces it together at times to give this like how, how do I what what kind of a, a visual experience am I going through and I, I sometimes think you know that's one gateway into making these more uh, pictorial images from from these different uh, inspirations yeah um that's definitely interesting i think sort of moving a little bit away from that uh or maybe not but when you talk about sort of moving to narrative the way you were describing i think that might be a bit confusing for someone looking at your pictures. I definitely see it, but the narrative is not, it's not the narrative that we would see in like the 19th century, right? Um, where, or any time before that, the narrative of the Renaissance. Titian says he's painting this Greek myth. And then you see Bacchus is there and Ariadne is there and all the characters are nameable and you know the what story he's painting, uh, your narrative has a lot to do with like telling a story of an internal story, maybe, or like a psychological story. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and how do you process that narrative? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It's definitely one that I, I think continually throws me um, into the... Uh, pursuit of what painting could be you know because I'm always just like well what is my narrative it is a bit uh, a mixture of by uh like internal bio uh biographical like images but then it is actually pulled from like you know certain myths or certain kind of like um my my other like interests throughout history I think what I'm interested in is how we piece together what a narrative could mean to the viewer you know especially now with like some of these newer images like I'm working on this one uh, that I just started today which is kind of just about my time in Rome and I'm intermixing like 
um, like my shoes I like that I wore and then like kind of layering all these different um, like qualities of like the trees, the buildings. Like I think I put a, a couple of excerpts of Piero della Francesca's work in there. Just like these kind of like what, what kind of memories like brought up and I'm trying to put that in a way that is not only compositionally appealing but also one that allows the viewer some sort of, I guess like insight to me, but also like how, how they piece together a narrative, like what it's about to them. Um, I don't really have answers yet for that. And I think that's kind of going back to the beginning question, what's work going on in the studios, trying to, how do I, how do I capture that, that sense of awareness and uh, like have the viewer enter into a narrative that they, is that, is there but it is also their own mm -hmm. with narrative too there's always the suggestion of um the way the story has been told before by other painters i'm looking yeah. at the one that's immediately behind you and even though they're not going to have video it's just going to be the audio file from this it's a <laughs> painting of a green jacket with a um, blue sky in the background and some buildings and the pink monkey pillow thing looking. I don't know what that is in the foreground, but it feels like um, somehow there's an element of Giotto, especially in those buildings in the back. And uh, so it's not just the fact that like you're painting a narrative, but also when you paint a story, it connects to how the story has been painted by the people who were there before you. Does that yeah. track? Yeah. Is that, am I putting words in your mouth or is that true? No, 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 that's, I don't, um, I don't disagree with that sentiment whatsoever. I, I think it's like, not only is it like imagery that I grew up kind of um, digesting, but it is also stuff that I'm still interested in, like kind of these uh, religious thematic, uh, like, I guess, like hat tips, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm tipping my hat to like Giotto, but also like, yeah, this is kind of a, um, like my own question to religion, you know, it's like a, it's the jacket is empty. It's in a, like the, the annunciation pose kind of when Gabriel's coming, uh, it's like, all, like there is no Mary in it. It's like all these kind of like questions for myself that either people, if they don't pick up on it, it's I'm okay with like, that's the, that's the hard part is like, how much do I give a shit people are going to notice it or not? Mm -hmm. But I, I need to leave these kind of, that's why it's like, they're like giant puzzles, right? Like the Giotto thing's correct. Like that's the, the uh, I'm gonna butcher the Scorveni Chapel. Like that's parts of it. Like, and I built a little one in grad school that I oh, like, I've just always loved that. Yeah, it's like over there somewhere. Um, I think, I mean, no one's gonna see, but it's like right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's so cool. And um, I, it's it, it's just a way for me to continually like get all these things out that I'm interested in and start kind of like threading them to both like what I'm interested in and also having this like you know the bigger questions um, kind of thrown out there. I'm interested in that especially when you talk about um, building that chapel in grad school. I'm interested in sort of touching on your grad school experience. Uh, you went to the New York Academy of Art, and that's a very figuratively based program. Um, and you went to the Lime Academy before that, and that's a Correct. very figuratively based program. And 
the work you're doing now, it's not that you aren't working with skills of representation that you would have worked on there, but you also pulled these a very different set of ideas. Uh, they're ideas that I associate with places like PAFA or Mount Gretna School of Art or Chautauqua or New York Studio School. Mm -hmm. And they're a very modernist set of ideas and perhaps. And so I'm just curious if you could talk about what your grad school experience and your undergrad school experience was like, but also where did this other stuff come from? Um, yeah. Um, so, so undergrad was, uh, great like i i love i love lime uh lime was an awesome little diamond in the rough at the time um it closed down but now actually is reopening under jordan and amaya which mm -hmm. shout out to them because i'm jordan sokol and amaya gurpide yes I correct uh, i think i yeah I, I i'm the worst at like pronunciation of names so that's i'm gonna let you butcher that one um, okay. but yeah, that's, that's the two of them. And, um, I actually had Amaya in grad school and she's an incredible human being and, uh, wonderful artist. And just like, honestly, like one, just one of the awesome teachers I had in my grad program, but I'm so happy that they're kind of, uh, kickstarting Lyme. Cause I think, I think those two in particular are going to definitely kind of continue the same or somewhat similar energies that was happening at Lyme. Mm -hmm. But when I was there, there was a, as much as it was based in this like traditional atelier style, there was a lot of uh, modernist thought coming into it. I had one teacher who, uh, Roland Becerra, who's a filmmaker and animator, and he actually was the gateway drug into modernism and kind of thinking about film and these other inspirations and tying them in. So I owe him so much to in my undergrad experience and then you know uh, I took some time off some things happened and I was like yeah, I want to go back to school and I ended up going to New York Academy um, which was another just you know I met really awesome people there I had uh, like incredible instructors one of them being Michael Grimaldi who I admired for so long and if he ever hears this he'll kind of wince at, at, at that but you know just having him and like uh, teacher like Wade and like all, you know all these people in and out of the studio who just who I don't know they it it was like it's so cheesy to be like oh they how much they impacted me but it really kind of showed me the importance of um, you know tapping into a person's interests and like really listening like mm -hmm. how important listening is to like each other and I think at, at the end of the day both grad schools uh, both grad school and my undergrad experience came down to the, the teachers who gave a fuck and listened, you know, and it showed me the importance of that communication. So um, I owe them uh, those experiences a lot. Now, obviously, on the other end of the spectrum, like, you know, I did workshops, I read a lot, I was in the library a lot, like, you know, I think whenever I tell anyone about art school, they have to put the work in. It's not just like the students go to school and the teachers teach it's it's a it's a communal experience you need to meet people you need to go to shows you need to go to the library you got to study you got to you got to really put yourself out there on multiple different levels and i think that's kind of where um a bit of the that you know path of thought or even like the new york studio school and just kind of the artists that i became interested in it you know i have all i 
I always started in this like really atelier wanted want or I wanted to go to an atelier <laughs> type thing. And I think the more I looked at like what I am and who I am as an individual, the more I realized I was on this like kind of a this tightrope of like, you know, traditional skills and modernism, you know, this this all yeah. especially coming from like early video games and all this stuff, like a lot of the art forms and things, they're they're like, you know, Dada esque or like fucking um they they always had this kind of like super modern you know yeah. comic books like this outsider art like influence like so it's, it was is a, i'm a melting pot of things so i couldn't just stick to i think like traditional rendering and i and i almost went to pafa because something was pulling me there but uh, i ended up at lime it's funny um i was i might have told you this story but i was actually uh, going to take the same route you did. I applied to Paffet and Lyme. Those were my two schools. Mm-hmm. I got more scholarship money from Lyme, so I decided to go there. And as I packed the car to move up to Connecticut, I got the email, hey, we're closing down. Good luck. And I ended up enrolling at Paffet like a week yeah. before the semester started. Um, but like you, I was someone, I was at the Art Students League of New York at the time, and I was someone who had wanted to go to an atelier type program, but I wanted um, a uh, degree. So PATHA and Lyme were sort of the two that were thrown out there. And then I got to PATHA and they started putting people in front of me like Dickinson or Mirandi or um, maybe the ancient Italians or the early Italians, Mm -hmm. but even like the Pompeii frescoes and like all these things that excited me so much more than the 19th century art had. And I realized, whoa, that's, that's a midlife crisis averted, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I was doing the wrong thing. I just hadn't been exposed to the artists who excited me the most. Um, and uh, it's funny that you should mention like all those people because a lot of those people were people who I was very aware of like I was obsessed with what Jordan Sokol and Amaya were doing when I was like 16 17 or Dan Thompson who was my teacher and I still have a tremendous amount of respect for them but uh talking about art school one of the most wonderful things is I didn't get a choice I got randomly put into one of Scott Noel's classes freshman year Mm. and his narrative on painting was a lot more inclusive and a lot broader and just the energy in that room was contagious and then I think I've taken something like 11 classes with him it's ridiculous but um, I think that the like creation of a good atmosphere to like incubate yourself in as an artist is crucial and that's why I think we both had really positive experiences in school um yeah I would I would agree I mean I think um you know and like there's there's uh, as much as we're talking it up there's always like pros and cons oh like, yeah for sure and, and, and for stuff. everyone and, who had a positive experience I come in contact with like five or six people who had a negative experience um, totally uh, and totally. definitely not to sort of run around singing the praise of art schools because I think there's probably a real <laughs> crisis in art schools in this country right now 
and we just yeah, happened to go financially. <laughs> yeah, we just happened to go to places that sort of hadn't fallen prey to sort of, or at least to the same extent, hadn't collapsed as much as a lot of the main or a lot of the bigger schools had, because we went to these little sort of gems on the outskirts where people yeah. still think it and you weren't paying the same prices that you pay for like a RISD or a Yale or something like that. Yeah, totally. And like, I guess like the, um, I don't know, it's just, there was something, you know, as much as I was in school as Lyme was kind of deteriorating and then like we, they, they, they kind of ran into a wall and then a big school ended up purchasing them temporarily, which is a university of New Haven. And that kind of, you know, I was on, I was on my way out as like, I saw that shift happening and it was definitely, it, it was like a, you know, a virus entering the system, you mm -hmm. know, it was, um, they, they didn't really know how to run an, an art school. And I think we, as the students were kind of really pushing like against kind of the, um, ideas that they were putting in there and we're like dude no this this school is like this this school is this little safe haven for us right for mm -hmm. these people who wanted to come here and, and kind of take grasp on um pushing ourselves as as artists you know and um i'm not gonna go too much into it but it definitely i think it it was a, it was such a weird time because my freshman year sophomore year was like you know it was always glorious and fun but it it was definitely kind of we're seeing we you, you saw the the veil kind of get mm -hmm. pulled off each yeah. year due to uh you know the po political landscape in which an art schools ran so it was very eye-opening to both like me as an artist and now kind of looking back as a teacher you know yeah. just kind of like the politics get that get thrown in and how much things get held back or pushed or changed so it's it is definitely um it's an interesting one, but I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm, I am grateful for, you know, I, I started very late this whole painting and drawing thing. Like I went to a community college out of high school or a little bit out, out of high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. It took a, a painting course and then the rest was history. Those teachers are the ones who set me off mm -hmm. on this kind of like really awesome adventure. So I owe it them. Relative they, though. I mean, uh, yeah, you have some of the great painters in history who didn't start to like, I mean, just thinking of contemporary painters, uh, Yael Scalia had her first solo show when she was like 60. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And she's painting as well as anyone today. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I'm um, hopefully I could join that, that uh, group of extraordinary painters, I guess at one point, but you know, I don't even know if that's even the goal. I don't know what the, you know, the goal I think is Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still figuring, I'm still figuring it out. What's yeah, I guess the, the goal for me, Dennis? what is the meaning of life? Well, I don't know. Just do a lot of push-ups and drink some orange juice. Um, but I think also we're seeing a lot of people because of some of like the finances and um, stuff like that. They're not necessarily doing the whole art school thing or they're doing it differently um you and i are both involved in sort of online zoom workshops and stuff and, right because you're at the pen you're at pen right uh i am right now yeah um but i've done my own independent stuff i've right and i've worked with high schoolers this summer 
and my advice oh, was always yeah. like um hey uh, this was through summer academy at papa i was like hey when asked for advice on school i'm not in the habit of throwing out unsolicited like commands um but my sort of big advice was like don't go to a school because of the school go to the school because of the people there right like look at the work from the teachers and look at the work from the other students because you're not going to learn from the reputation of the school you're going to learn from the painters and sculptors and drafts people who surround you and i think we're seeing a lot of people sort of like side skip the institution and just go directly to the people that they want to learn from uh i'm wondering sort of how you situate yourself in that and what you think is happening there yeah that's a good one i mean like you know i think people are getting fed up um with the financial burden of colleges in general and if you um, especially be an artist the yeah. surefire way to stop yourself from prevent like creating art when you graduate is to go like sixty thousand dollars in debt and then yeah, or fucking more you know yeah. it's it's like the the number one thing is like a, you know um most most of my friends and and you know we aren't financially like gift gifted you know one percent mm -hmm. who could just fucking go to school and be okay after you know um and if you are that like don't like be grateful for that and definitely take full advantage of it too i don't want to you know because there's good people out there who are just have the money i guess but yeah majority of us are just kind of like cool we have to go work jobs and all this stuff so anytime you could kind of no, number one if you want to go to art school like play the the grant game and play the scholarship game because that's that's literally what i did and the only reason i did that is because i had the kind of mentors in my um uh community college kind of like let me into that that door a bit and i was just mm -hmm. grateful for that so i went uh to both schools with like really good scholarships and i'm not trying to boast I'm just trying to say it is possible because I was definitely in both situations amongst people who were way more talented and doing way cooler things than I was coming into the program I just I guess I don't know I've just I lucked out that's how I always mm -hmm. felt. I felt so fucking lucky um and ultimately like do that but right now I'm very much in favor like listen like if you want to go to art school like you have to understand what you said is you got to look at the teachers teaching you got to look at the students work and don't just go for the name number one number two if if it's if it's financially going to burden you like be prepared for that i think like i i don't know how you'd be prepared but like definitely like you you got to realize that like this isn't the golden ticket like and i think a lot of schools sell that right like mm -hmm. hey go to art school you're going to be an artist and it's just like i know plenty of people who never went who are super and successful. then they have like the three alumni that actually made it on the brochure right and, they, and whatever and they, they sold them. at sotherby's last year but right and, then and just ignore all million other graduates or or it's like you know we don't get the full story of like, yeah, this is the successful person that went to this school like 25 years ago and they found success five years ago, you know, mm -hmm. and then they push like, look, they went here. And it's just like, yeah, that they definitely did. And, you know, kudos to them if they come out of grad school, super successful, you know, but um, it's, it's, it, it's like, that's just one sliver of the pie. You know, you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta know what you want 
and you gotta you know my advice is like find the artists you want to learn from and take their workshops and I know I'm pitching a bit of myself because I'm teaching like through pushing colored dirt and doing independent workshops but like that I I I learn more through that than sometimes going to art school but on the other end art school you have community Mm -hmm. and that's something that um, I think here at Pushing Color Dirt, like what we try to do is replicate some sort of community. Like even though we're not in person, like we do have a Discord. We do mm-hmm. we we try to put students together and and create at least some sort of social bond because ultimately, the one you know amazing thing about art school is the the networking and like friends and camaraderie mm-hmm. that you come out with, and that's the one thing that like at the end of the day, you're kind of paid for that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. But I'm also interested in talking about the other ways in which we can find these communities. I mean, mm-hmm. you and I didn't go to art school together, but we met through sort of that art community of Kenyo, which I, <laughs> I still have no clue what it is. Um, it's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what is Kenyo, Dennis? And how, how did uh, that happen or work? Because I was more peripherally involved for like a month or two. You were really one of the main people. So yeah, what is Kenyo? Kenyo is, you know, it's a good, it's a, there's no definite answer to what Kenyo is. I think it's part, um, part partially it is, it is this self-realizing myth amongst the people in it and it's also this kind of it is whatever you want to be it could be an art community it could be uh, a networking base like for for other people it could be a support group like I think it's very malleable you know and it's not this one thing for it's not like oh this you know some people think it's a fucking cult and it's just I love the the myth behind it it's quite um, Mm -hmm. you know it's it's so fun to dive into but ultimately it started with, you know, I'm originally started this little kind of art, um, I guess, collective called the 404 with Hillary Butterworth, Sepe de Med. Uh, I pronounce his name wrong all the time. And I don't give a fuck. Sorry, Sep. Um, Milo Hartnell and a couple others. And then we all trickled down, but it just remained the four of us. It was Sep, Hill, Milo and I. And uh, we always talked about opening doors to like a bigger collective. And then one day, um, Dan Ferguson and Milo uh, started talking with a couple other people and they, Kenya was just born. Like, I can't really take credit for it. I just kind of was there and got like sucked in the whirlwind of it. And mm-hmm. um, it's just a place like it still exists. We just have chats. I just think it's kind of one of the options um, in meeting other artists, like in, in turn, in, in kind of the other side of the coin of art school I think that's one thing is like the tool of Instagram and social media could do is uh you know just talk to fucking other artists and I know it's not it's easier said than done but I do it all the time because I just I'm interested if I'm interested in your work or just you know I I I, I'm I like to hear how what people think about art and like how they digest it and like I'm just interested in other people you know I live with myself I have to I have to be with myself 24 7 I'm fucking sick of myself you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I like listening to other people and stuff and you know other people have way cooler and interesting things than what I have floating in my head and I just think it's better I love I love talking to other artists and just people and digesting like their creative process and seeing what they do and partially I feel like a leech because I feel like I'm just like taking it and putting it back into my work but I think people are interesting and 
I like hearing like what got them in the art and all that type of stuff, which is partially why Milo and I have a podcast. We like talking to other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that the leech is kind of a, a, I kind of want to contest that characterization (laughs) just because, I mean, that's what we all do. It's, we sort of look at the world and what interests us that's we take that and what we don't yeah. doesn't interest us we discard that and that isn't just a painter thing although it definitely is there's picasso saying good artists or imitate great artists steal or something yeah. and then there's banksy stealing the picasso quote did you see that there's it's like the little plaque yeah yeah i did yeah, yeah. Was crossed out and like banksy so obviously there's that whole um world in art but it's also just like how do you think basketball players get good they watch other people play basketball and chess players totally uh i don't know if you saw the queen's gambit but chess players like set up the chess games of people who are really good and they play through it like every single step and just to see like what were they thinking when they did this move how did they make this move and then i mean we do the same thing we put up a great painting and we copy it and we say like, yeah, we literally make a painting of the painting and we say, how did they make this move? How did they... And then you're working on your own paintings two, three years later and you see an opportunity to make that same move and you do it. And it's, it's not yeah. Randy's move anymore. It's your move now in this condition, in this circumstance. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's like, um, you know, I think uh, going back to like, I was, I was talking about Hunter S. Thompson briefly, like he learned to write by like, like typing out like pages, like actual books of Hemingway and his favorite writers and was reading them a lot, like just copying it. Like, cause he said, he just wants to feel what it's like to make that. And uh, that's what master copies essentially are, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, I encourage my students all the time to look at their favorite artists and just, you know, take, take pieces of it you know and re- rehash it because at the end of the day that's all we're, we're doing you know mm-hmm. the, the key though I think is to have such a intense inventory of inspiration that it becomes uniquely uh yeah. your leftovers exactly because you know when you just look at one artist or two artists and you're just making uh similar choices to you're you're not diving deep enough into you're, you're kind of selling yourself short mm-hmm. right you know, I think, um, and, it, and it normally happens, but just like, don't copy someone just because they're successful and stuff where it's like, this is what you want to do. Like, pe- pe- peel them apart and go deeper into like, well, what inspired them and follow mm-hmm. the lineage of like what, you know, most of the times we all cross paths with each other. It's like, oh, there's always a Dickinson or Leonard Anderson. And then, you know, we kind of like branch mm-hmm. off. It's all, it's almost all the time. My favorite artists, like if I look at a lot of contemporary artists now, they all, it's all intersecting. Like there's always going to be a point where, you know, it's like a Rothko or Diebenkorn or, or, you know, Edwin Dickinson in our case, or like Leonard Anderson, like, you know, Mm -hmm. Uglo, like there's, it's always, there's, we're all at this meeting point and then Mm -hmm. we have to like, you know, spread out from it. Yeah. And the other thing about that though, is I see like a lot of people who will say copy like imitate Velasquez and use Velasquez palette to do it. And the only reason Velasquez used that palette 
is because those were the most chromatic colors that existed when Velasquez was a painter. So like right. you think if he had the option to use like a thalo blue, he wouldn't. Like, yeah, right. Right. Or like or a fucking a magenta. Or, yeah. yeah. I, so I think there's a lot of the times a sort of a fetishization of the technique to paraphrase one of my teachers, as opposed to like a real, like heartfelt, empathetic emulation of like what the actual project is like yeah. to be obsessed with Bernard is to be obsessed with the organization of the rectangle and the way one composes and the way you can get the feeling of a space and mm -hmm. not the way you can use like dots of yellow you know right Although right because that's that might be something you fall deeply in love with and want to take but that there's a difference between the two uh, realms. Yeah, and I think it's, it's um, you know, when it comes to looking at inspiration and like pulling from it, I, you know, I think one of my most important like philosophical arguments always is, is like, how honest are you digesting this, mm -hmm. right? Like, is this like, if you are, for example, looking at Bonard and like obsessed with his brushwork, like try to put that into your work with a respectful like well why like what about this like is it texture and then and then try to use it in ways that benefits the images you're making not just like a full-on like i'm just going to copy this fucking brushwork and it's going to be great it's more of like okay you know there needs to be intent behind these choices i think yeah exactly. and, and that's ulti that's ultimately the you could do anything as long as the intent matches up and a lot of the times you could see that like it it's like well i'm just this worked for this person well yeah it worked because they had intent to for some reason like even in like yeah. a bonard or bouillard you know the the camouflaging of shapes and you know intersecting mm -hmm. of shapes and flattening of space there was intent behind that it wasn't just to you know some yeah. of it sure is aesthetically pleasing but it was also their searching mm -hmm. and um as long as you take i think inspiration and use it for your search rather than just sitting at that surface you're going to find more success in it so let's talk about that search and let's talk about the actual technique of painting, which we haven't yet. Um, yeah. Like you walk into the studio, you said you started one yesterday, right? Or today? Today, uh, today, today I was working on it. Um, so walk me through that. What does that look like? Oh boy. Um, well, <coughs> you know, recently, so, you know, due to the pandemic, I was working quite small, like I was working in my bedroom. And then once the, we kind of got safe and vaccinated and stuff, um, I no longer have a studio. So I had to actually move back my, or I had my mom allowed me to move into my old high school room as a temporary studio space. Cause oh, where I am in Connecticut, it, it is, I, I love working here. It's just getting so small, right? Cause I, I want to work bigger, but, um, but if right you're now I'm working, making autobiography autobiographical narrative paintings where better to do it you know is is right in the heart of cringe cringe land um high school me uh, uh but right now so so pretty much it starts with i in grad school i actually rehashed um like old ways of working and just worked from perception right like i built mm -hmm. these kind of maquettes out of paper because uh, i was interested in like you know bonard vouillard at the time and flatness and it started from there. And then as I kind of left grad school and, and everything, I got back to this place of continuing to work from observation. And 
intermixing kind of like collage without the collage. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the times, like I'll look at something from observation and then, you know, have elements around it and go to my brain and be like, okay, what's this look like? Oh, this kind of looks like buildings. And then start putting buildings in and, you know, toy with this like conversation of like imagination plus observation, which Mm -hmm. led me to where I am now, which is a mixture of observation, my own photography, collage. Uh, So I I kind of, um, a lot of my paintings start with uh, in the a written language of intent so like I'll go into writing and I'll write out stories from my life or like kind of like funny little things or excerpts or kind of um, just just what I'm feeling and try to match match that and then I bring break it out into sketching so I start from like, like an actual verbal language and then take it and try to pull from it what I can't say in that verbal language because I feel like if I could say everything in, in a written form I don't really want to paint it. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. it, it's a bit, I'm like, okay, I got, I got it out. It came out this way. So it gives me at least some sort of ritual of like, okay, this is worth making an image about in my fucked up head. So once I get there, I just do a bunch of sketches through, um, I, I think I actually did a post on Instagram yesterday. I, they, they're just like, I vomit them out. Like, I don't know. I just, I like, I have this intent of like, okay, I want to do this shoe walking with pants. And then I just, I literally do like, like 10 or 15 sketches in graphite, pastel, acrylic paint. Uh, and they're quite small. They're maybe eight by eight or 10 by 10, right? They're kind of small. Mm-hmm. Actually. Like I have like one, no one's going to see this at home, but like they're just scattered about yeah. my, my studio. Um, and then from there, I kind of pull them all out, look at them and then go take photo references around my neighborhood and then bring them into Photoshop and then kind of collage the drawings and photo references together and then set up an observational still light. It's, it's a fucking process. Mm-hmm. And pretty much like I'm, I'm constantly trying to keep myself engaged with this like thought of, um, um, you know, actual awareness and then unconscious awareness. So it's just like, what is my brain thinking of and spewing out? And then what am I actually observing? And that's the painting. And then I've, I just kind of like put it all together and work from the sketch in a, in a collage uh, in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And so the sketches interested me uh, because you're primarily using like acrylic and gouache mm-hmm. for your color sketches. Yeah. And when I met you, you were primarily using acrylic and gouache for everything, right? Yeah. And yeah. oil is, I don't want to say it's more recent, but it, it is. Uh, it's more recent that it's become your primary media, at least, even though I'm sure you made oil paintings and stuff beforehand. I'm wondering what, what changed or what happened or that made gouache and acrylic work start to feel less like your paintings and more like your sketches for your paintings. And what about oil lends itself to the finished painting for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. I think it was just like kind of a um, a natural shift. Like I think I was just working from oil. Like it's never. I've always considered myself like an oil painter, but I think a lot of. I think a lot with oil. Like I had it too much on this pedestal. You know, what I mm-hmm. mean, like we all do. It's like, oh, it's an oil painting. It has this this like literal fucking golden like rays coming out of it it's the hierarchy of art making and da, 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 da. and I it's got also too not caught cheap. Up. 
and it is not cheap, which kind of leads me to my second point. Gouache isn't cheap either, but, um, you know, the acrylics kind of, nothing's cheap. What the hell? Like it's all fucking <laughs> expensive, but I used the palette that was kind of cheaper. It was like $7 burnt siennas, you know, that mm-hmm. type of stuff. Um, but I think it, I, I think there was a point where gouache and acrylic was, I couldn't do the drying times as I was trying to figure out what the hell I am. So gouache and acrylic was such a quicker way to get these things out, you know, just like mm-hmm. really spontaneous energy. And now oil, I still, I love the way oil looks and I'm just allowing myself to kind of slow down because uh, so much of my process is built into this, um, you know, being open to the image changing, you know, kind of um, I, nothing safe in my work anymore. I think prior it always used to be super planned out and blueprinted and stuff. And this whole new process I talk about where I, you know, put collage together and drawing and go take photos and all this stuff is like, it's, it, it lends more to oil painting because it's, it's such a slower process. And I'm, as I'm mm-hmm. making the painting, there's new colors being added or bigger pieces getting taken out. It's a very destructive, reductive way of working now. And oil just, I could do it with acrylic and gouache, but it just feels right with oil because it forces me to literally wait for it to dry you, you know mm-hmm. so there's there's an actual thing of time involved that forces me to be patient with it that's really it okay yeah i think also the the way the color reads now and maybe this is just due to you becoming a better colorist but maybe it's also due to sort of what's possible with the oil paint it is like the paintings hold together differently like there's a there there's a way in which instead of like just painting light on a thing, the painting sort of like has its own light that sort of comes from inside the painting. Uh, mm. And I don't know if that's something you consciously look for or if it just happens. If it just happens, I'm very jealous. Uh, but <laughs> it, it it's something that is really intriguing especially as I look again I'll probably use it for the thumbnail just because I've referenced it twice and that way people will be able to see it the green jacket with <laughs> yeah. the like that painting sort of glows in a way and I'm really interested in that yeah I wonder um I don't intentionally do that so I'm sorry to add to your jealousy but um <laughs> no I you know it's 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 so weird because like you know I I'm not, I'm interested in light, but I'm not interested in light as a, as a, as a vehicle for expression, right? It's just kind of like there, I'm, I'm interested in light and, and design pattern and contrast and value, right? I'm interested in value more than anything. And Mm -hmm. I do think oil painting allows me to play with value because of the way light actually bounces off of it versus like wash or acrylic because it's so matte, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and a lot of my paintings, I start in acrylic. There's a lot of acrylic washes and kind of like thin layers. Just just because I love having, um, like my favorite thing to do is like have a color underneath an acrylic mm-hmm. and put oil and then scrape and you get like these really kind of intermixing like optical yeah. um, effects. So it's, 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 it's really that. But I reverse glazing in a way. Um, yeah it's like a it's like a scumble almost too or something it's it's you know it's just a little that that we're getting picky about surface but it's just something I like I've always loved you can see it in like the evening corns work or 
some of Ugo's or even like Shangram uh, Majumdar. Mm-hmm. He's like phenomenal. his work has it. Yeah, Shangram's another like hero of mine. I mean, there's so many. It's just like the list fucking goes on. Um, it's cra- It's just like every time I'm like, oh, that painter, oh, this painter, this artist, or this writer, or this. But yeah, I think going back to that question, I just think it became again natural. Like the oil paint, it it, it made sense value wise, you know. Mm-hmm. Just as an aside, uh, for some people listening, you might have to have like a Google search bar open as we just yeah. like throw all these names out there. Yeah. But it's highly worth looking some of these people up because yeah. everyone Dennis just mentioned is a phenomenal artist. Yeah, um, wholeheartedly. And like, I've, I keep saying Diebenkorn, but for whatever, he, he really got his hooks into me over this last, uh, this beginning of this year. We got really into him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something about sort of the openness of his color and I don't know if that makes sense but there's like no it does it's so good but I don't know how to describe yeah. that to anyone who doesn't paint because if I yeah. just went home and told my librarian mother and architect father that like the openness of a color is important they would look at me like I mean we didn't really go to art museums so like it would just be something that <laughs> doesn't make sense in any other like real context but there's something about it that's just gorgeous yeah it's like um it it, it there's no it's just pure like try it, it just trend it's like i hate to use this word but it kind of transcends you um mm-hmm. because it's like you know and he, his work really pushes that bar for me of like awareness and trying to identify things but also um leading with emotion you know it's like my emotion brings me to I'm like I think this is a like a landscape and then it puts me into this land it, you know it's just a fun mm-hmm. way to engage whether he wants that or not I don't know but um it's it's his work is very like I can't look at it too much and I I owe a lot of like the color like interest and all that to his work I, I just can't look at it too much because like if it messes me up like a lot of artists do that like I have to not look at actual painters after a while because I just get depressed because I'm like I'm not this good and da, 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 da. you know you go down the rabbit yeah. hole of self-deprecation so that's the way I feel when I look at uh Sean Grom's old work like just yeah I, I, I like the new stuff fine but I can look at the new stuff without like hating myself <laughs> um, um that old stuff Scott Noah tells this story about um, Rackstraw Downs, uh-huh. like going to the Antonio Lopez Garcia show uh-huh. and just saying, looking at a painting and saying something along the lines of like, oh, that bastard, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Antonio Lopez is like high tier. Like I can't look at his work. Um, so I can't look at a lot of like all of Sean Grimm's work. Fucks, his new work fucks me up even more than his old work. Mm-hmm. Um wholeheartedly because it's that same thing with Diebenkorn it's like to me it puts me in this like different state of uh consciousness almost like depicting a certain level of consciousness which I guess I'm kind of interested in a bit too like I don't and when I say this I don't want to make work like these people I don't want to be these people but it's these are jumping off points in order to piece together what the hell I'm interested in Uh, Mm -hmm. because at the same time there's people like Shangram, Diebenkorn, Rothko, uh you know and these aren't people who look alike either and that's something that's really telling that like a painting by Rothko and a painting by Diebenkorn and a painting by Antonio Lopez Garcia 
can all like hit you in the same part of your gut, but they, yeah. they don't on the surface look alike, but they do right. the same thing. Right. And there's something really enchanting about that, that I, that like, I guess if I had to have a goal, that's just what I want paintings to do for people. Like at some point in my life is, is to hit in this like magical otherworldly place. Like, it's just like magic, you know, it's like literally like you, you can't put words to it. It's just this feeling it haunts you. Like I love, I'm haunted by a lot of paintings and I guess ultimately in a really fucked up way, I hope my work haunts people. Mm -hmm. Um, not in like a malicious way, but just, just kind of like an image that is carried through time with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and one person that does that, and I sometimes get made fun of it, but I don't give a fuck is Andrew Wyeth is my favorite. He, he has never been knocked out. You know, I have, I have this list of painters, right. And through my Mm -hmm. whole career and which is not very long, I, you know, people coming in and out and uh, Andrew Wyeth has not, and I don't think he ever will. There's something that he does to me and I can't shake it. I just can't shake mm-hmm. it. I don't want to make work like that. Don't make work like Andrew Wyeth. But that emotion, there's something about it in there that it just messes me up. Mirandi is that painter for me. And it's just like, and for a long time, I did try and make work like Mirandi, you know, like very, very. I think we all do at one point, right? You do like a Mirandi. <laughs> you do like yeah. an Ooglo, you know, there's always the pinpointing the, the, yeah. the, of people like, especially coming from the schools that we're in, you know, there's uh-huh. always like, you, you do Mirandi, you do Alex Konevsky, you do fucking Ooglo, you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you, you kind of like jump off these people. Sometimes you just got to paint through them. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, Sickert was someone I just had to paint through, you know? And yeah, yeah, now, totally. Now it drives me crazy, like all the little dot 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 like the marks everywhere <laughs> I, i'm like god what the hell was i doing but the parts of sticker i sicker i liked stayed with me and the parts that i didn't sort of fell away and so i think that at an early stage there's nothing wrong with sort of letting them into you that way it's just you don't want to stay there yeah 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 and i think that's ultimately um why i'm no longer like i i don't really want to control what i'm interested in and what mm-hmm. when i just let things kind of flow through me because some things you know will stick to me and some things won't and um at the end at the end of the day it's just it's about being open to all sorts of things even the things you don't like like you know and i'm not saying go make things you don't like but you'd be surprised what sticks with you you know mm-hmm. there's the longest time i didn't like Corn or Roscoe you know I was kind of too much of a had that elitist asshole like this isn't art like you know blah 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 and then mm-hmm. you know once I opened the doors to it I realized oh I was just kind of turning away a deep like something I thought was like an evil entity it was the reality it was like my best friend or something mm-hmm. so it's like you, you gotta you just allow yourself to go through all the stages and processes and stuff I think uh mm-hmm. sometimes the danger is like allowing ourselves to stay plateaued because we're afraid or something like that like you know stay in a place that is just working for us um which obviously if you have galleries and these type of things it's very hard to combat that but still i've seen artists do it i've seen artists like just continually push themselves and i'm i think that's very uh admirable Mm -hmm. yeah i think for sure it's something how do you do that though how do you uh like for you personally how have you 
like taken a successful penny and then gone, I'm not going to do that anymore. Cause there is that temptation, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I mean, I don't know. Cause I don't really know what in my body of work, I mean, I have a couple successful paintings, but at the end of the day, it's like, I'm always, I guess I'm always on like the hunt, you know? Yeah. I just make that uh, portrait you did of Milo in the yellow raincoat oh, was like yeah, yeah. plastered all over the city of London for like a year. Right. Yeah. It was, it like was yeah. As the publicity for the BP portrait award. And so like, I mean, that image became in some ways for a certain group of people not for everyone I'm not claiming it was like a Warhol or anything but like for a very small subset of internet people that became like a very iconic painting and then now you're not you're primarily painting still lives and doing drawings of still lives and you're not working purely observationally and sort of you're that was acrylic and now you're painting primarily in oil like you've sort of you haven't turned your back on that but you've definitely moved in an oblique direction right yeah yeah I would I mean you know there's there's a point where I didn't want to like I'm 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 only 30 you know yeah I don't want to just be like hang up my coat and be like this is what I am like I don't I, I you know I think the real truth lies in each work I do it's like I don't really feel like I'm doing anything different I'm just breathing in bigger you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it's all under the same umbrella like if you go back to like 2016 like I'm doing realist kind of work you know it's like there's it's portraits it's just very um you know it's not stereotypical but it's like people sitting down like there's it's environments you know I'm, I'm trying to achieve some sort of realism uh I, I still do that in certain ways. It's just the language o- opened up more. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I'm accepting that I'm interested in more painterly aspects of an image. And like, I'm, ex- I'm trying to push like, or dive into what a painting is. Cause it's like, you know, you get the question like, well, why am I just not making film or photography? Like what can a painting still do that those mediums can't, or what kind of, you know, you could get away with weirdness and all this type of stuff. There's like a a visceral quality so it's like um for me I'm just always trying to ask myself like not not like become like forceful of like change but just mm-hmm. you know allow my gut to guide me um and just see where things go I don't I don't know it's not I'm not really like always like hoping I change every couple of years but I'm just allowing myself to be open to change without you know consequence like, you know, mm-hmm. me beating myself up. Cause I think for the longest time, especially, you know, it was always like this little fire in my belly of, um, you know, I was doing portraits. We were doing the hundred heads. We just started 404. I was like, uh, always yearning for something else. Like even going to grad school, I was still doing this type of stuff. And I, and I was so afraid, I think, because I cared about what Instagram was and all this shit at the time that I'm like, who gives a fuck what you, what you are and what you do. And you also have to make terrible paintings to do that. Like the first time you played with flat shapes, I'm sure you looked at that and then put it up next to sort of the, I'm thinking of like, there's a portrait you did. I think it was towards your end of line, like a guy with a buzz cut at a desk. Oh, with my brother. 
or my red in the red jacket yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and like yeah yeah that that's a very like illusionistic space very convincing painting and then when you're playing with this language that's new to you that you don't have the same mastery over yet it's all of a sudden like you're comparing well that painting was a lot more successful than this first attempt at a brand new language and I think probably the temptation is to go back right at least oh. un subconsciously and instead to keep pushing forward is a real creative feat I think yeah I I mean you hit the nail on the head it is a you know uh, people laugh but it's kind of gut-wrenching you know you do something and then you feel gross after because you know you see something and this isn't playing down realists because realists are I, I still love a lot of realists and kind mm -hmm. of like you know people like Colleen Barry um you know etc etc like those Jordan like Amaya like you know Grimaldi mm -hmm. even though Grimaldi's in this like kind of in-between state I mean who's ever going to be concretely better than Vermeer or Velasquez like, right right and, <laughs> and I like argue at the end at the end of the day, they wouldn't, if they were alive now, they wouldn't even be fucking painting. They'd be making film or photographers mm -hmm. or 3D yeah. work. But I think, you know, you hit a real big issue that um, I think we snub our candle out too quick. Like there's an itch of, of trial and error. You gotta, you gotta do stuff and make a lot of shitty things and just do it and get it out and allow yourself to grow and explore. And I think the biggest thing that looms over my head especially now is just like, am I full of shit? Mm -hmm. You know, am I, is this really, am I just trying to do something that's quote unquote unique? Um, am I trying to like, you, you have to kind of go down this whole, like, am I just full of shit? Like, is this, is like, should I just go back to just painting like portraits and like, is all this just made up bullshit? And then it's not because the, the, the answers come out in the work, you know, mm -hmm. in my opinion, like, Ira Glass has that quote, like work comes from work. And I think it's the same thing. Like the truth comes from the work. Like you, you could see when it's bullshit or not. And um, for the first time in my life, like it's the last like couple months, I actually feel like I am making work that is just like, if I put that painting in front of you, you could at least get an essence of my being, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and some cheesy factor, but not that the old work wasn't, but I actually feel like I'm, I'm pouring parts of myself into this stuff wholeheartedly now, rather than just, you know, trying to make something look good or trying to be like one of my favorite artists, or, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a combination of everything now. So there is a, there is a big risk factor of, of, you know, falling victim to, you know, um, kind of making things that maybe other people like or whatnot, but you have to kind of like, just, just, just jump into the deep end and, you'll know when to get out. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? There's a point when you'll know like, yeah, this really isn't for me. You know, for me, the biggest fear is like, I'm going to be like fucking older and look back and be like, what was I doing? But I, I think if I stayed the course of like doing realism, I think I would have. Or, or, you know, that, that type of work. Like, yeah. I think I'm, yeah. I, I'm, there's an itch always to explore and push. And I think all my favorite musicians and artists and you know, there's, it's not to change for the sake of change, but it's to, I'm pursuing ideas that I still have been pursuing in undergrad. It's just, it's just evolving. I'm allowing mm -hmm. it to naturally evolve. I, I like the idea of not pushing just to push though. 
um, like there's that quote that everyone says, right? Break, uh, learn the rules before you can break them. Yeah. And then like the implication of that is that there's some inherent value in just like arbitrarily breaking rules for no reason. Yeah. And my view has always been that I'm going to discard the rules that don't serve me, but why would I break like, but that's because they're getting in the way of something. Yeah. I, I have no desire to just like take a baseball bat to the status quo and just start breaking rules for the sake of breaking them, right? Is, does that rule serve you? And so you still have some of the rules. It's just they become more tools for you because you use them when you need them and you let them go when you don't. And so it's not like you stopped painting form. It's just sometimes there's form and sometimes there's flatness. And it's the contrast between the flatness and the form that creates that tension in your work. Uh, and, I, and I liked the idea of like, just following that instead of like, well, I'm going to go flat because the rule is form or I'm now I guess the rule is flat, right? Because mm -hmm. it's been a hundred years since we actually painted form consistently as a culture and yeah. abstract expression is the norm. So now it would be form for the sake of form because flatness is the rule. Yeah. And either way, it's kind of ridiculous. It's because what works and what doesn't is far more important. Yeah. And, and that takes time to learn, you know, and like, it, it's such a, it, you know, it's such a hard one to even like talk about because it's just like my experiences and, and kind of the way I'm uh, digging through the trenches in a sense you know for mm -hmm. everyone it's going to be different for me it was just easier like to learn how to get better at drawing and painting um and, and a lot of this time like I look back and I'm like oh my god I, I was such an idiot I should have just been doing this prior but I I had to kind of go through all this like other stuff in order to get to where I am so as much as I I don't regret any of it <laughs> I could have done it a bit better like maybe I should have paid attention more to like my value instead of paying attention to like you know texture or whatever but you know it's a give and take mm -hmm. um but yeah I don't I don't know because I it's it, it really is about it's a very hard thing to I try to tell my students this but it's a hard thing it's like knowing when to trust your gut too um and and that intention and um I I don't know um see see where it takes you and don't don't get me wrong like it one thing I was just talking to my buddy Zach about this like I was like um who is also an incredible artist Zach Koch um he's like I he's been really helpful through certain processes with him and Milo just like helping me talk things out but I I think now more than ever do I go through this like you know oh my god what am I doing uh in my art because I, I feel like I'm in open water with it more than ever because it's like you know, it's not something you could always just hold on to like realism or something like mm -hmm. the, re the rendering, like, well, it needs to look right. Or, you know, it's not pure abstraction or it's like, you know, there's a, there's a narrative, there's all this stuff. Like, I feel like I'm very much in, in my own process and that could be very trauma, that traumatizing Jesus Christ, but fucking <laughs> melodramatic as fuck. That could be very, um, you know, stressful. I, I don't object to the word traumatizing. Like maybe it is traumatizing. So long as we understand we're talking about like the studio. Yeah. And we're yeah, not talking nah. about like as compared <laughs> to we're not saying like 
Yeah, no, no, no. Afghanistan. No, <laughs> fuck no, not at all. Are we kidding? I'm on a I am a king in a castle when it comes to that stuff. But it, yeah, but I think there's nothing there there's sometimes a need for poetic uh hyperbole when it comes to describing the studio process because yeah there is an intensity to it even if it's just mental yeah i mean but, read that uh read that giacometti book you know when uh, oh is that the, the one doc, who like the, the person who sat for him wrote yeah yeah read that book and you could get an insight into some sort of studio practice that is definitely you know or read like some of Roscoe's letters and stuff i mean you know well, there's for someone who hasn't read that giacometti book what what was your takeaway what dude my well my takeaway was definite i read it when i was younger but it was still something like i was like oh you know part part of it is definitely putting like oh this is an artist like on the pedestal but it was also one thing that really impacted me was just kind of how honest it was in the sense of like this guy, the doctor came and sat, was supposed to sit for him for like a couple of days and it turned into months, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause Giacometti was just so dead set on this, of capturing this experience and kind of, you know, his art, like, you know, it's not like, oh, we have to suffer for our art, but you could, you, he was throwing himself so much into it that I, um, what for, for better or worse admired that. And maybe that's what I'm just kind of, doing now even though I you know I don't I don't know it 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 was something about honesty that really struck me of that like Giacometti's honesty I don't do what Giacometti does by any means or take Mm -hmm. I have my my own kind of battles with my art and my kind of you know peeling things back and and putting things in etc etc but it definitely opened me up to like being an artist is not this like glamorous kind of sexy like look at me I smoke cigarettes and I have shows and I'm like you know it's just yeah. it, it is this really kind of selfish um meditative endeavor that we take head on by ourselves a lot of the times and it can selfish in the best possible sense of the yeah, word but yeah 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 selfish selfish selfishly selfish as I like to say sometimes it's kind of like oxymoron but it is um it, it's kind of like really taking a good look at what you are and that's that's kind of what the Giacometti book opened up for me a little bit it's like Giacometti's like really fucking putting himself in and we're taking a good look at in -hmm. his process what he is like you know it's pulling out all these questions and I think the further we kind of allow ourselves to you know peek beyond beyond our own curtain the better our work could be that doesn't mean that it's going to be you have to be this like suffering person i don't think Mm -hmm. i'm the suffering person but i definitely think you know bringing up some questions about um uh, what what it is that makes me whole and human you know fucking doing that alone sometimes can be like just really fucked up Mm -hmm. you know and they start to like taunt you too like i don't have any of my paintings up in my apartment my apartment is all other people's paintings yes and then my studio is only my paintings Dude. because <laughs> if I, I put my paintings up in my apartment and i tried this when i first moved in i like put something up and within like three days this was a painting i had finished like a year ago within three days i had it back on the easel and was reworking it because yeah. like all I could see was what was wrong with it. And so there is like this obsession that we all have. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's totally like built into that obsession. 
uh, and, and there's times I leave my, like, I can't have my work because, you know, I was just talking about this too. It's like, I don't know what my, is this going to sound asinine, but I don't know what my work looks like to other people. Cause like, and that's what I love about it is like, cause they're always mm-hmm. seeing the better qualities. And, you know, it's not that like, listen, I know when I make something that is successful and good or like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to just play up humbleness to be humble, mm-hmm. but it is like there, I don't, I, I have a different filter because it's me literally going inside and trying to wrestle what whatever fucked up images are in my head and get them out and as you could tell like my process is very large like Mm -hmm. there's a there's a lot to get to the root of these images and most of the time I'm just not happy or satisfied and it's it does I take it you know I have to find ways to get get that like very you know obsessive energy to like pause you know and I think Mm -hmm. bringing my work home would be fucking not a way to do it I would be you know I don't have any I have all my you know I have all the art hanging in there I have a sketchbook or two always but sometimes I have to like I feel like I need to sage my studio or something you know Mm -hmm. the energy in here could be very harsh well I think the things that I see like when I look at your paintings I just see the paintings when you see the paintings, you see the painting and the expectation of what the painting would have been if things had gone perfectly and nothing ever goes perfectly, right? Right. right. I mean, painting really comes down to, um, like, as artists, like, when we look at our paintings, we have, it's, like, literally us and our flaws and our mm-hmm. perfections and imperfections. And you know, our flaws are staring us in the face with each and every work. It's the expectations. It's all the, the, the bad, the good, the ugly, the, the, the things we'll never amount to. And we have to swallow that. And we have to be okay with that. And that is a, that is a tough fucking pill to swallow. But within that, within that comes our truest work, in my opinion. You know, it's like a lot of the times I'll walk in here and I, it's like I have these expectations and I'm like, the expectations aren't me, they're ideas of me. And in each work, there's a real little piece of me that I need to extract. And that's what pushes me, I think, into that like level of changing and shifting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's me following my, like, my own breadcrumbs. There was a really, I heard it when I first came to Philly and I don't remember who said it, but I was at a opening either at PAFA or Gross McLeaf or somewhere, and the artist was talking about their work, and they said something about paintings that reveal themselves in their own making. And mm. I think that that's an expression that's sort of, despite the fact I can't remember who the hell said it or what they were talking about, um, it's something that stuck with me over the years. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at those paintings, and they feel like that uh, term applies. Like, I don't think you can start a painting with and just go to something like what you're painting. It's you kind of have to start a painting and look around a little bit because the painting starts to suggest some things. And then your sort of lexicon of all these different painters and different images that you've stored in your vocabulary have start to say some things. And then maybe you bring someone you trust into the studio and they say some things and then 
the painting suggests some more things. And there's this very long, complicated process of getting from point A to point B that's very different than just like, oh, I'm just going to paint the fruit that I see in front of me. And yeah. that's not to sort of denigrate or shit on realist painting or perceptual painting or anything like that. That's what I do. Um, but yeah, there's something about searching and like revisiting the painting that's different. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to like those perceptual painters or realist painters, like, again, like I, my favorite is Andrew Wyeth. Like mm -hmm. I admire them tenfold and I don't necessarily think I'm doing anything better or worse than them. It's, it's not even different. Everyone has to, everyone shows their, their flaws, their, you know, pimples, their scars, their, their insecurities in each and every work, no matter how, you know, impressive it is or, or whatever, however the viewer takes it is, is their own calling. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I like that. I like what that quote you said though. And um, I think for me, um, it, it always comes back to, you know, those questions of self and like, what am I? And kind of like my, intermixing my experiences and just, just like allowing things to reveal themselves, taking it and running to the next step with it. You know, I think it's just, it's just a better time. It's, you know, I still love painting perceptually. I love mm -hmm. going out and doing like, you know, plain airs or painting. Well, the same portraits. thing happens when you paint from life. I totally. just think that um, I guess I'm referring less to the thing that happens when you paint from life and more the thing that people who don't paint from life think happens. Yeah. Where it's like, it's not like you just look at a thing and then recreate it on the canvas. No. Every time you look at that thing, it's different right like yeah. you notice something different your priorities are slightly different or like the, or like the light change or less saturated you know or like and, you're like let's say it's like you know i've you know because i love i love the new work that you're doing you know oh, i love this yeah i love the simplicity of it i love the the kind of the vigor in it you know what i mean mm -hmm. there's there's a real presence in it like through through your hand mm -hmm. um that i have started seeing in your work that i i really really have been admiring you know and uh, I could see your Dickinson influences and stuff like that just in your and it's not even like color palette or applicate there's something really in that level of 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 uh, presence right which is otherworldly to me in my opinion thank you that, but, that's really flattering but but like in your case like you know you're out there painting like a car and then the person like oh going to work and then the car disappears mm -hmm. your whole picture could change collapse so you have yeah. to be okay with letting go of your idea and intent. <laughs> and a lot of the time with those paintings too, uh, they're usually, uh, sometimes they're like premier coup one shot type things, mm -hmm. but most of the time they're like three to five sessions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time they're most realistic, like halfway through. And then like the second half of the painting is like taking stuff out or simplifying or yeah and and it's like like oh that was stupid why did i put all those windows in that building that building should just be a single square of yellow but that has to be the right yellow you know mm -hmm. uh i think though a lot of times then they read as like oh it's very easy to put a square of yellow there you know and i'm sort of like have a lot of respect for people who are willing to put in work that doesn't show up quote unquote in the final result. yeah I know what you're saying yeah there's um that and that's that that goes back into that kind of like balancing of of self and like you know insecurities right mm -hmm. it's just like 
when, where, where is your kind of like, when you go to do that, you're like, Oh, if I don't show all these windows, are people going to think I'm, I suck or I'm not paying attention or like, you know, what kind of experience, like whatever yeah, exactly. going, going through in your head. But ironically, like the, the history of the image is what makes it unique to you and your vision and your, your, your actual observational, um, you know, presence. I mean, that's why someone like Arbach is so cool. Right. Because he's someone who's willing to like paint on something forever and have it not get tangibly like quote unquote better, yeah. but just have it get different, yeah. you know, and it does get better but it doesn't get better in a way that you would recognize. Like the buildings don't become more building, like they just become more textured and more painterly. And there's an evidence of sort of the scraping and the repainting and the sanding and the whatever else he's doing. Uh, but there's no like, well, let me fix all these mistakes, you know? And if anything, he's making it messier and harder yeah. to read. Or like the mistakes aren't, trivial you know they're not mm -hmm. they're not ones in which we would be like that doesn't look right they're they're there there's a he's he's talking to a whole different he's he's having a conversation that is like on different levels you know mm -hmm. and that's what painting i think could do it just it's it's a very interesting um you know documentation of consciousness observation you know all this all these type of things i just that's why i just can't shake it and you know, there's something going about that history. Like, I love that history. Mm -hmm. Like, I love looking at painters um, who just leave that, like, those little, like, things of, like, either the underdrawing in there or just kind of, like, the changes. And they're not afraid to hide the history because that, mm -hmm. that, that's there's that flaw in there or there's that humanness in there that I admire, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think that that's one of the reasons why you would make a painting, right? You were talking before about like the things only paintings can do. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I simply wanted to record the passing of light over form, photos do that, mm -hmm. you know? There's lots of form in photos. If I wanted to get a likeness, photos also do that. But um, photos have a very like one photo does not appear that much different in sort of the application of the material than any other photo, you right. know? Yeah. And so, and I, I love photography. I look at a lot of photography mm -hmm. and I think some of those, like I, I'm obsessed with a lot of it, but why am I not a photographer? Why am I a painter? And right. it's like, I'm the kind of painter who ends up covered in paint at the end of the day. You know, I love throwing this stuff around, although I wish it didn't get all over my clothes and my face and my hands. I, I love the tactility, the physicality of it. And I think that I always like notice when someone else does too. Mm -hmm. uh, I was at not too long ago, but long enough ago I was at the MoMA and for the most part it was like there was a lot of conceptual work up and I was walking through and then there was a Pollock and the Pollock maybe just because like the contrast between what I had been seeing or something but the Pollock literally made me dizzy because the paint felt like it came off the canvas 
and into my space. And my body had a physical sensation because of the confusion my brain was feeling just because the painting is so damn tactile. Yeah, right. Know? It enters into, into the, the literal 3D. Yeah, exactly. Transcends the 4D and goes to the fifth dimension. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there, there, that's, that's one reason to do it too you know, is the tactility of it and like kind of going into that innate like humanness, right? Like the materialistic yeah. nature of us as beings, like things and objects. Um, you know, and I think one thing that sticks out in, in my kind of head as a painter is, uh, you know, the art object, like not in like Duchamp's <laughs> sense, but kind of like a painting as this like ritual um, for you know yeah the expression but there's something about the ritual of like the process and like getting it out and like the energy put into it and then this this kind of thing becoming like for a lot of my paintings I always have this undertow of like this is about good luck deep down or like some sort of like manifestation right that the energy mm-hmm. takes on as and not to be all new agey but like in a sense like that is why I think I paint you know the mm-hmm. images are, are totally par- partially for expressiveness but there is something that if I peel everything back there's something about making like this this actual like ritual um art object you know it's like some people go to church some people do this some people do that for me this is kind of the um I, I think the way into something um that I'm looking for whether it's like a higher power or a reason for being here like this ritual of painting and energy I put into it is ultimately why I think I just pick painting because uh, I've I've thought of I mean I'm, I'm a terrible writer I would love to write terrible writer I thought about making movies I don't know if I could have the energy to do that like because that's a different energy the other you know? thing about movies is there's so many other people that get to put their hands on it hell that's yeah that's... I felt about architecture like I would love to design buildings but then I don't want the guy who like nitpicks the building to make sure it's up to code. And I really shouldn't talk about it that way because that's what my dad does. <laughs> but um, no, but like, I, I don't want another guy going like, oh, you need to change that door because the way you designed it, it's Is not a fire, fire safe. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. I just want to do the thing. Yeah. Uh, and painting is so awesome because no one cares. So they leave us alone in our studio to just like be crazy people. And mm-hmm. then eventually someone comes in and they went, oh, that's what you did. And yeah. it was just sort of like you got to pull all the shots. Uh, yeah. There is point. something kind of like uh, totalitarian about that. Maybe oh, that's yeah. why Hitler was so into painting, you know? Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, that's a good point that's terrible yeah and, think, and watercolors none the least dude like I think it's safe to say like if he had gotten into art school the world would be better off uh, <laughs> and I think maybe the good thing is we're putting it all in our work so the world doesn't have to worry about us <laughs> yeah maybe maybe in some some way shape or form that's like it's like a control freak type thing too you know mm-hmm. um as much as like my work is more about chance and accepting the lack of control. Um, I also think it's just like that way of like, this is the only thing where I could, 
I have some sort of control of like good well, or you bad create happening. order from chaos yeah yeah exactly. you know exactly. it's like you allow the chance to come in and then you deal with it in a way that's really productive right and, and that's, 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 that's it admirable that's it. for life and painting yeah yeah and that's I think ultimately like I just think it's a way for me to process certain parts of life you know because once it's out in the world like I don't know what the fuck happens to it. either people who own it or like people shit on it I don't know Do you I, care? I mean um you know I would be lying to say you know no I don't care because like I'm a human being and like validation is built into our survival mm-hmm. you know but I don't I it, it's like a weird it's like I I don't care if people necessarily like adore the work or like if I'm famous or put on a pedestal I don't actually cringe that like kind of Mm -hmm. you know but I do care that like I guess I I just want I would love to impact people how I've been impacted by artwork yeah but I also can't lie like if no one gave a shit I would probably still be doing the same thing you know Mm -hmm. I paint I I tell myself I tell my students I tell myself that like if if anyone gave a fuck would you be doing the same images I was like hell yeah if, if no one cared I'd still be making the same exact stuff and I think ultimately that's how I got here you know I stopped caring about making work that is pleasing and more so making work that that feels like I'm you know literally getting things out of my system mm-hmm. um but yeah I mean like other you know, there all of us care at some point otherwise we wouldn't be on Instagram we wouldn't be putting work out there you know what I mean we all yeah. care care at some point but I'm wondering how much of us are doing, how many of us are doing that kind of stuff so that just so we can make a living off this versus how many of us actually like feed into the like, oh, I want X amount of likes to mm. do this because I crave the validation of the likes and how many people are like, okay, I made this painting. I guess it can go up on Instagram now because that way maybe it'll sell and then maybe I can make another painting yeah and that's a that's a that's a good question um because I I think listen like I put work out there if it sells I am like honored that it sells Mm -hmm. so internally grateful um I don't I don't that's why I I work a bunch of other jobs because like I don't my painting I can't fucking support uh living off of right Mm -hmm. and I think I put it out there because I want it to be seen and kind of put into like the circle of imagery, right? Like in the yeah. world, you know, just another thing that gets processed and, you know, put out there and like either appreciated or shit on or whatever. It's just, it's out there. It's out of, it, it is fucking finished and out of my, like my body and put onto this like, you know, little fucking piece of canvas and like for the world to see. Now, one thing that I, do hate is like I think my work needs to be seen in person like I literally make it to be seen with the body you know like people walking into it experiencing it it is made for that so like putting it on Instagram is always hard I take shitty photos a lot of times because my phone sucks Um, but also it's just like it's on this tiny screen like some of them Mm -hmm. are huge some of them need to be seen in the physical space but I think I just share it because um, I don't know I just like I do I still like it to be seen but uh, if it gets sold, shit, I'm fucking honored. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm just honored that it gets sold. I don't, it's weird. Like I make work with, an, I don't ever think, now that I think about it, I make work now just to make it. And if it gets sold, it gets sold, you know? 
it used to be like, all right, I'm going to paint this. I hope this sells. This will be the price of it. Now it's just like, um, I'm just making things in hopes that it gets seen and kind of experienced. And then if it sells and someone cherishes it, then that's a different discussion. Yeah. You know, um, as, as like, as much as a fantasy as that sounds, it's kind of really how I feel. Like I don't ever really think about the, making money off of them because i think then i would be too much in the process of making it look like sellable or something i don't know i think it's just a way for me to keep keep that out of my process you know but if shit if you're listening you want to buy the work fucking help me out dude what's up like <laughs> they're definitely worth buying um i have Appreciate that. like uh, i have sort of this mixed feeling about showing you know where it's like, uh, I want to show, but I don't want to show for like, again, like if people want to buy it, sure. But I don't want to show for the intent of selling. I just want to have like gallery shows so that the people I love and respect can come and look at it in person and like see it for real, not in photos or like even in my studio, but in terrible light or whatever unframed and on the ground um but like actually like let's just put all the work together and get it up there and that way like all the people who have been like good friends or mentors or teachers can come and look at it and then uh explaining that to a gallerist is always like no one's gonna give you a show if you tell them yeah these probably won't sell yeah these aren't gonna no sell intention just, of selling yeah these. yeah um i just want people to come and see that and they're like hey we're running a business here yeah yeah i think it's it's a it's a tough one because i like i i guess if i do if they do if i do sell them mm-hmm. i want them to be appreciated by someone yeah you know what i mean i want it to be in a home that i know is like it's it's added to a collection or it's appreciated um in some way or form and i'm not saying that like you know people don't do that but you know what i mean like, you don't I, want them to be like one of those tax laundering things where they go off into like right right temperature like controlled storage unit and no one ever even sees them but they like made some money off yeah like money laundering or something totally and like you know i mean obviously all my work has a price and like i know my prices and there is like mm-hmm. value to it because of the time and energy i put into it but there's like more of this like you know cheesy essence to it of like well I, i'm pouring my fucking heart and soul in these so if like someone buys these like i hope it it kind of it's like the same reason why i have i buy work from artists is kind mm-hmm. of the kind of you know, I put that back out there hoping that people buy it because they, they cherish it. It's like, yeah, you know, I have, I have work, all the work I own from artists. I, those are there. They, I fucking cherish them because they're yeah. to me like little objects of, of like a person, you know, your self portrait is like still up on my wall, by the way. Oh, like sick, hell yeah. Sick, uh, man. That's see, that's cool. And like, it's weird that it's like, yeah, myself, it's like, yeah, cool. A portrait of me, but like, I'm not, you know, it's like more, well, it's so just a like, painting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's something, you know, I don't know, there's something like, um, it, it's, it's, it's just kind of like, I guess, like mystical, like paintings are fucking awesome little experiences, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, 
God, I'm so, I, I know I, I get so cringe at times. I'm so fucking hyper self-aware with that stuff, but it is, I guess, exciting to me. It's like when a person really puts their time and energy into this object and I fall in love with it. Like I, it's like, I love being able to buy it to show appreciation for how much I fucking cherish this, you know? Mm-hmm. And also pennies just change as you live with them. Like good paintings, at least. Like, yeah. If you look at a really good painting every day for a year, you'll like it far more at the end of that year than you did at the beginning, and vice versa. Like, if you look at a painting that's kind of like meh for yeah. a year, by the end of the year, you'll get tired of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's sort of when you can tell. I, I don't like the term, but that's when you can tell people are like using tricks or something. Oh, like, the cheap tricks. Yeah, the yeah, pony yeah. tricks. Yeah, it's, totally. it's like um, they, they have uh, like a, a way of working that allows them in 20 minutes to like put down like a light in a shadow and all of a sudden it looks real or it looks cool. But like even in museums, you see some stuff like that. But then like, mm-hmm. if you keep going back, and I mean, you knew me when I was going to the Met three or four times a week, and I had mm-hmm. like the, uh, the visible storage layout memorized, and I could take you yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. to yeah. the Sicker, <laughs> not the Sicker, uh-huh. the Whistler, you know? And mm-hmm. so, uh, like, you know which paintings grow on you over time. And you know which ones kind of just like sit there and either get boring or do nothing. And the great ones grow on you. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's sort of a strange way to define it, but that's my only way of being able to define what I like about painting. It's like, I like paintings that grow on me. Yeah, no, no that's a, and that's a, I really like that way as well. That's a cool way to put it. You know, for me, it's also like, um, it's a nice, it's just a nice way to kind of show what you're interested in too, like a good art collection or just kind of having paintings that you you have. Like I have all sorts, like I have, you know, I have like, you know, nicely rendered drawings, paintings, and then I have like abstract stuff, like whatever. It's just like a, it's, it's just a way to kind of um, collect people's like you know, moments of consciousness, you know, and, and, and their, their decisions and choices in a little object that just is really nice. It's nice to be around that. Cause there's like, you know, in my, in my apartment, like, for example, like one of my favorite paintings is this uh, Tim Wilson painting that, that he gifted me. And there's like, it's just like, it's, there's something about it. It's just like, it's really, um, like it gives me like the sense of like gratitude um and there there's you know the way I associate and kind of put my emotions into each and every artwork I have is just there's something really nice about that you know it's Mm -hmm. it it again it adds to my own process and and kind of um I think you know the other thing too that art like I really love that painting does photography film writing all this stuff is like it gives me a place to um come out of my myself for a bit you know and just appreciate other people and like their experiences and the way they do things and make things and like it's just a nice way to connect I think and just get out of my head if I'm feeling shitty there's a painting on my wall like I know it's so cheesy but it is so nice sometimes just to like zone out into it or like 
pick up a good book or watch a good film like there's something about like the the whole the fucking honesty and just energy and just presence put into each every little like work of music art writing that just makes me feel okay that I got to see it um before I died (laughs) yeah it's just a it's a comforting way and meditative way to get through life before I fucking die that's all yeah it's morbid but it is how how I feel like you know it's just it's just a nice way to bide my time certainly um this is a very abrupt transition but I did have a list (laughs) of things I wanted to talk about and yeah yeah everything else came up naturally during the course of the conversation. Um, So I didn't even need to ask any of these. And I'm really glad that happened that way. But the final note I have here that we didn't touch on is drawing versus painting. Because you're an immaculate creator of drawings that look like they're art in and of themselves. You know, like a lot of times preparatory drawings look like preparatory drawings. But your drawings, even when they're four paintings, they feel like standalone pieces. Uh, and maybe that's because of the influence of people like Grimaldi, who have been, who like exclusively makes drawings and what I know was a big influence on you. But, mm-hmm. um, and then you make paintings often from those drawings or of the same motif as those drawings. But the paintings and the drawings both feel standalone, like iterations instead of one's a preparation for the other. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's because again, it goes back to like, well, number one is like the, I I think I'm a bit more linear based and, you know, and, and kind of not really tonally based. Like I had to really try really hard to get to this place of like seeing color and tone and value. Cause I could see contour, like most of us can like really well in line, like I think in line. Mm-hmm. Um, I transcribe in line, like et cetera, et cetera. I'm very linear in my marks and all that stuff. So drawing came a bit easier than painting. Like I struggle more with painting. But um, your drawings feel so painterly. Is that right. something that you consciously had to change? Yeah. So what ends up happening is like, I, I do this thing where when I'm drawing, I'm thinking I'm painting. And when I'm painting, I'm thinking I'm drawing. You know, so like when I'm putting down marks painting, like I'm thinking of fat drawing marks. When I'm putting down marks um, drawing, I'm thinking of painterly marks, you, you know, yeah. and, and whether that actually, you know, happens or not, it's just a way for me to always stay on my toes and not fall victim to this being, this is a drawing and this is a mm-hmm. paint, you know, it's like always trying to see what I could get out of the mediums and then bring back into the other, you know, ultimately. I th- when ahead, I I'm worked sorry. with Ken Cooley, like he had us collaging and Ooh, my paintings yeah. got better, you know, and I wasn't like, I was thinking like, oh, I'll go my first year I skipped that workshop because I was like I don't make collages I'm a painter and mm-hmm. <laughs> which was an incredibly stupid thing to think and then my second year a friend talked me into going and I went and I was like oh my god this yeah, is just... Ken, and Ken's Ken's incredible <laughs> yeah. Ken's work is like outstanding well he makes me think of you a little bit just uh in terms of like when you were working from the maquettes and everything he would have us like build uh, cardboard sculptures from our paintings oh. like you make us make little maquettes but from finished paintings so we could sort of like understand what was happening with the space in our paintings on like a really really small scale so you don't have much control 
um, and it's incredibly difficult because cardboard is not an ideal sculpting material. But then, like, uh, and then I saw you panned to the little church, and I thought that that was like a really interesting thing. Like I said, how you sort of you don't go to Pafa and you never did, but like all these ideas um, that we tend to sort of like here, you sort of cultivated on your own and did something really special with. Well, I appreciate the kind words. That means a lot. I think it's like also kind of, you know, it's the artists I'm looking at and being trained by who pretty much like almost all of them went to PAFA at one point or from Philly. And it's also like, if you look at the lineage of art training and kind of the East Coast, the East Coast has a certain kind of, um, I wouldn't say prerogative, but definitely an essence in image making here mm -hmm. than maybe California or like, you know, some things like, I think the East Coast tends to be a bit more interlinked with like, the French academies mm -hmm. and stuff like that, that kind of like transpire and like the, the way like- I think culturally too, just in general, like yeah, so, the yeah, East Coast so, is sort of like an extension of like Britain or something. I, yeah, which totally. they were, you know? Yeah, but, like, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Like there's, even there's, like, you know, in, in the Lyme area there, we had our own impressionist movement, mm -hmm. you know, up there. Them in them. Yeah, exactly. And then also kind of coming here to Philadelphia or like, you know, coming to parts of New York and Philly, it's just kind of the way I think we all get bit by the art bug is, is there, like I said, you could thread the needle back to mm -hmm. almost all of us having an artist in common. Yeah. You know, Philly, Philly coming down, like we, you know, I, I immediately think of well, actually, also all my favorite artists like center around in that area somewhere, whether New York Which is or funny Boston. Because like, I think a lot of the times uh, I, I don't want to be referring to Tafa much because I don't want this to be about that school. Yeah. And I also think that these ideas are not Tafa ideas. I'm not trying to claim that they are. They're just currently the few teachers I chose to work with here because of their personalities were teaching these ideas. But yeah, New yeah. York ideas, their Boston ideas, George Nick is up there and he's doing killer things and Kehoe's up there and she's doing mm -hmm. those things. And they're Europe ideas too. And they're Asian ideas. Like, it's not like this is this, I guess, because we're both close to, um, schools where these ideas were taught we kind of associate them with the schools yeah. but it's actually very recently that these schools have had people teaching these ideas these ideas yeah. are much older than their inclusion in our school's programs they're also yeah, down totally. at william and mary too yeah for exactly. some reason and in indiana yeah i was just gonna say fucking indiana um wholeheartedly probably was one of the ones that push started pushing that out and even times at Yale like back mm -hmm. in the probably 90s and early 2000s like Yale you know aside from obviously other contemporary avenues in which they teach definitely had some of that you know level of shape making and observation built into it well Will Bailey was exactly in charge, you know exactly well, I was just gonna say when Bailey was functioning as the head like you could see work coming out that had that kind of at least a, a sprinkle of it you know mm -hmm. 
and I just, I just think it comes from like teachers and just kind of lineage. And I always talk about that thread, the thread we could kind of find, oh yeah, I've, you know, I know this person who's from Philly who taught here and I learned from this person who went to PAFA, who went mm-hmm. actually to New York, you know? So it's like, yeah. you know, we, it's like a domino effect. You know, we all fall into one another at some point. I guess, uh, trying to catch my own tendencies, there's something kind of like, um, a little bit, uh, I kind of like to stay away from it or try to stay away from it because I don't nearly as much as I would like primarily because like there's this, um, sort of inherent, uh, tendency to like claim some sort of, uh, competence or achievement based on like the school or the teacher that you work under as opposed to like just making your own work uh not you but general you uh, no i no i no i get that and so i i catch myself saying these things and then try and back off them uh but definitely there's a really interesting conversation to be had about pedagogy and sort of the way in which our teachers shape us oh yeah uh, because they do and then it's again, you have to sort of let the parts that they weave with you that you like stay and let the influence you don't like fall away because there's always going to be more influence than you probably should want. But there's nothing wrong with sort of um, internalizing those things which do agree with your temperament and your personality. That's why we have teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, one thing that I like to look at it is like, uh, uh, the most successful teachers to me are just like kind of, uh, the ones who just pass the torch and I'm carrying the torch that, you know, maybe they had to re-engineer and like has some other blood and, you know, like these metaphoric things adhered to it. So I, I can't help, but like shake some of their, their Mm -hmm. own, um, you know, identity and certain, certain ideas and stuff. It's just, how do I not rest solely on their ideas, but build upon them? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it, it's a tricky it thing too, because mm-hmm. there's a fine line between wanting to give credit to this incredible person who gave you so much. Um, and then also not wanting to sort of uh, be a sort of leech off them to use the word yeah. from the beginning of the conversation, like you want to sort of Leech. say like, oh, I studied with so-and-so because you want to give so-and-so the credit that's due because they helped you so much and without them, you wouldn't be the painter you are. But you don't want to say I studied with so-and-so because so-and-so is so great and therefore I'm great by association or something like that. And it's yeah. tricky to know when you're doing one and when you're doing the other or when you're coming off as doing one and when you're coming off with as doing the other yeah that's a good point and I think you know it comes down to accepting the fact that that so-and-so is just a human being and mm-hmm. once you destroy the pedestal and you realize that um it, it's not about oh look how good they are and now look how good I am from it it's about the connection that yeah, you have with sure. them on a human level and I think the more you could engage with that and I tell students all the time like I don't want to create fucking carbon copies or like whatever no I'm 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 a catalyst you know yeah. like use my body you know what I mean like yeah. uh, I'm a catalyst though like just fucking 
take what I have. Don't take it as, as the, you know, the book of, of, of wholehearted truth. Like I want you to pick apart the things I say mm-hmm. and what stays with you will stay with you. But what doesn't like cast them aside and move forward. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's why I like to make sure I have all these different teachers and the influences and stuff, because there's like, just, even if it's a sentence from one person that could change my whole, like, you know, course, I'm not going to allow, like it changes the course, but I'm not going to allow it to di- direct me down whatever that course is. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just kind of that. I think it's very important for us as uh, people and artists to be always be aware of our influences, but not to, um, you know, let them fuck you up, change your course, but don't, don't hold on to them forever. They, they yeah. have to be in, in, in the cart you're pulling. They can't be leading you in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess... I have a few more minutes. I would want to ask, like, sort of moving away from sort of the conversation format and into like the interview format. But yeah. if there's one takeaway that you could like sort of um, give people, they say like uh, people who are either looking at your work as spectators or artists who look up to you, what do, what do you want them to come away from this interview? Like, what, what's the thesis, right? What's the thing? Mm-hmm. Like, Dennis says blank. <laughs> Dennis says to drink a lot of water and stay hydrated. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, uh, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, like, all I, all I have to say is just to everyone is just to be, be open to different experiences and, like, be okay with with failing uh be okay with like being wrong and knowing that it's it those are opportunities to just be a better person you know and being wrong being to to fucking up to failing like not saying like go out there and like create like you know cause like chaos but definitely like be open to your imperfections because i think a lot of that holds a lot of beauty you know and um it's it's much better to just go full like just if you have an idea like try it out if you fail oh oh well at least you got it out you know i think just being open just being open to being like don't be ashamed of being wrong and um like learn like learning new things like i think if you're too set on something and you're too sure of it like find ways to shake it up mm-hmm like you'll well, be so surprised. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing this. It's uh, at Dennis Delessio on Instagram, right? Correct. Uh, DennisDelessio.com. Correct. Shout and, out that domain. Um, Milo and Dennis show. Uh, where can they find that? Uh, you could actually find that on Spotify now, and you could also find it on our SoundCloud. We and we have an Instagram too, which is at the Milo and Dennis Show. All right, um, and pushing colored dirt on all social media platforms. Yeah, probably. it's on. Yeah, and I'm not sure if Google, on Twitter, but yeah. uh, just Google pushing colored dirt. You'll find it. Yeah, uh, and you Dennis you could teaches, um, he's awesome. Sign up for his class. Yeah, and and. Yeah. And also everyone else at Pushing Color Dirt are like 
really incredible artists and teachers themselves. I think if I'm not your fancy, I don't blame you. There's uh, so many incredible teachers coming up this next term. And I think you should just give the whole program a, a shot. So. All right. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, man. And thanks so much for having me on. It was like really awesome to catch up and yeah, it's been um, a while. Yeah. I, uh, I, I apologize for my, um, my, my overly sentimental cringeness, but it is what it is. And, uh, I, I just really appreciate you having me on. It means a lot. Like, it's kind of cool. You know, I don't, I don't know. I appreciate you coming on. For sure, man. All right. Well, uh, I'll talk to you soon. And, and I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing other podcasts that of, of people that you have on and stuff. Looking yeah, forward to watching this grow.